Starbucks baristas of South Carolina and the world unite. A Columbia area Starbucks saw its employees walk out in protest to unionize their location. We'll discuss the efforts and look at the intellectual beacons of thought that were their protest signs. There's a new religious fervor on the left. Pro-abortionists are ready to sacrifice the opposition, and Disney is doubling down on their attempts to brand your children. Welcome in to the latest edition of the fastest-growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters Podcast. I'm Justin Hall. Dave Wilson is to my left. We've discussed the right to religious freedom multiple times on this podcast. It is outlined by the framers in the Constitution, actually the First Amendment. Right. The freedom of religion is immediate there. We're going to get into where we're seeing a new religious fervor, and it's not where you think it is. But first, Dave, let's hit some local news. Aside from the end of session, which we've talked about at length. And by the way, it is nice to be in the spring-summer version of yes. the Palmetto Family Matters podcast where we're not hitting on everything that's going on at the State House. Which, by the, the way, time. 10 for 10. Anyway, not, not the point. Not we'll the point to, for we'll this get, one, but we will go into that one later. Not the point for this one. So if you drive through Columbia and you drive through the downtown area, typically you would hit about three or four Starbucks, right? On any on any on given any, drive, any, any given way drive. into town, yes. Right, that's true. You, you've got one on Gervais. Well, you used to have one on Gervais, and then you have a few further down Gervais. You have one on Main. You have one on Washington Street. And it's probably that way in, in most towns in yes. South Carolina because – I mean, there's even a Starbucks in Red Bank now, and and it's delicious. Had it on Saturday. And, and in case you ever wonder, you know they're they're popping up almost mm-hmm. as frequently as Waffle Houses on the interstate. But that's true. But that's true. That it has been very interesting to see how the workers there have started to make some inroads, or at least their attempts to do so, on making some changes for Starbucks. Starbucks has seen attempts to unionize in multiple states. Now again. South Carolina is a right-to-work state. That is important here to the discussion. The employees at the Millwood Avenue location, which, to my recollection, is a brand-new Starbucks location. The Millwood Avenue, I think I watched it being built over the last year or so. The employees wanted to unionize the the franchisee of the store, I guess is how the language is going to be, fired the store manager because the store manager would not implement the tactics that the store franchisee wanted to use to stop the Starbucks employees from unionizing. So we see that the employees were on the side of Millwood Avenue, on the sidewalk, protesting and striking, saying that they will not return to work until certain conditions are met. Uh, Really quickly, a a woman named Sophie Ryan, who is an organizer of the protest, said, and I'm reading this, Uh, that the store manager was fired over unionization efforts. Now, again, understand that these employees feel that they are not employees, and their signs spoil it for them. Here are some of their signs. Workers' rights are human rights. That makes sense if you're a worker. Uh, Union coffee is hot, but if it's iced coffee, I don't know. This is about more than just coffee. Uh, You work at a coffee shop. We're partners, not employees, and treat us like partners. Now, I don't think, this isn't the Green Bay Packers, right? So Green Bay Packers fans can actually buy into the team and become part owners of the team. It's kind of how they do things. In this case, I believe, Dave, correct me, they did the same thing that I did joining an organization. You sign a employment 
agreement. Right. Or a contract and, of employment. And, and it becomes interesting because they use the term partner because I don't necessarily think they want to use the term employee. It is a it is a a, a conditional thing of we want to create a, a work environment that makes you feel like you're a part of something. You know, it's interesting because the very first unionized Starbucks was actually in the upstate of South Carolina, in Greenville, South Carolina. The vote was, I think, eight to one. Um, it's at the Pelham Road location there. So if you're in the upstate area, this is the one on Pelham Road at I-85. And they voted eight to one to unionize with Starbucks Workers United. Yes. That's the name of their organization. Um, when they put this out there, uh, one of the ship's supervisors said, we hope this will win brings further confidence from our partners who are still waiting for inspiration. <laughs> We're trying to be as, as I'm, I'm as I, I listen, I'm, I worked in fast food, so I understand. And many of us do. However, I am trying to understand the plight of people who work for an organization that has publicly said they will pay for you to go get an abortion. Go ahead, Dave. In another state. And so this is this was Starbucks' comment. This was their their statement that they put out afterwards. We are listening and learning from the partners in these stores as we always do across the country. From the beginning, we've been clear in our belief that we are better together as partners without a union between us. And that conviction has not changed. We respect our partners' rights to organize and are committed to following the NLRB or the National Labor Relations Board process. This says the next South Carolina stores to vote for unionization are Millwood, which is the one that we're talking that about. That should come out in the next couple of On the 26th of May, that is this week, and a store in Anderson County on Clemson Boulevard at the end of the month. Now, for those of you... Here in South Carolina, you know and recognize a few things. The term union and the whole concept of commerce in South Carolina have not really mixed very well. They are very oil and water when you talk about the issues that are going on. There have been multiple attempts at unionization of several companies in South Carolina, not the least of which was Boeing. Yes. One of the reasons that Boeing moved to South Carolina, moved their operations of the 787 uh, production from uh, Washington State to South Carolina was because of the unionization of the plant workers in Seattle. When they moved to South Carolina, they have been fighting very hard not to unionize because South Carolina is known as a right-to-work state. As a right-to-work state, there are certain portions of our law that gives preference to non-unionization of workers and that has created a work environment that has actually brought a lot of companies to South Carolina. Some of the bigger companies that you hear about, like Boeing, like BMW, like Volvo, like the major tire manufacturers across the state of South Carolina. And we have we are the number one tire producer in America because of the work environment that we have. But I find it very ironic, Justin, when you look at Starbucks workers who are making our coffees and making our drinks and they're they're putting the statements out there on their placards which seems to miss a bit of a point when it talks about the essence of what they're there to do. Right, the essence of what you're there to do and I don't mean to be calloused. You go to work to perform a job. Whatever that job is, you do that job 
you do it to the best of your ability. You do it within the confines of how the organization structures it. And they, you get a reward for rendering said service. That would be now, called a paycheck. That'd be called a paycheck. Right, right. And, and to my knowledge, Dave, and I could be wrong here, but I don't believe that many of the Starbucks baristas are making what I made as minimum wage when I worked in fast food. It is a very different environment now in the fast food industry than it was even when I was in, uh, at working age in high school in 2012 and 2013. Right. It, it, is, it is far different now. You are there to do a job. You do the job, you get the paycheck, and you reap the benefits of getting the paycheck, and then maybe, just maybe, if you want to make this a career, you work your way up in the organization. Right. It has, I'm sorry, but that's as far as it can go. What we're going to see, what typically happens with unionization is if you get into these labor disputes, then they can strike for whatever they want to strike for. You could you could see the intern, you could see the instability of the organization, whatever it is. Right cause a problem within the local economic community. Well, here's the thing about it. I mean, it, it, driving down Millwood Avenue in Greenville would be akin to driving down uh, Haywood Road. Or if you're in Spartanburg, then you're talking about driving down, you know, one of the major thoroughfares, Highway 9, perhaps, or 29. Or if you're down in Charleston, you're talking about going down 17. And, and when you think about that, this is a store that's on a major thoroughfare. The, the employees are out there striking. I don't think that it works very well when you drive up to the drive-through to pick up your drink and we're unable to meet the needs of our customers today because we don't have employees who are there to be making your drinks. Meanwhile, we do have a problem with, with even getting people to go to work. Right. And, and, and so when you think about this, they're trying to make an economic impact on the bottom line of that particular store to show how valuable that they are. But at the same time, when you're not making money, you're unable to pay people. And if people are not there to work and to get paid, then this becomes a major issue in the whole economic cycle. I mean, this is why we go to work. We go to work to, to get a paycheck. I don't necessarily think, though, that the economic conditions of the baristas at Starbucks is all that bad. No. If you're thinking about this is a, an entry-level type of fast food job. And that is a great place for people to begin their careers. And there are reasons why you have such success for people when they start it. You know, there, there are a lot of people who have worked in the area of fast food mm -hmm. as they've grown up or worked in, in the, inter, the, the restaurant industry at some, some time or another. It is a great place for you to get some initial job training. You know, Tim Scott talks about the fact that he started his whole career working at a Chick-fil-A. Five of my kids have worked at some point in time at a Chick-fil-A. You have. I started off working at a restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina. And, and that was a great place to get experience, work in customer service, gain some understanding. Uh, and and it, it is a place where you also keep your prices a little bit under control because you're paying people at entry-level positions. This begs the question of what is it that they're really setting out to do when you look at what Starbucks Workers United are trying to accomplish. Right, and, and so we'll keep following this. Again, we're seeing this happen across the country, Oregon, Washington, multiple other states. It's now coming to South Carolina, as most of these things do. But now we want to move on to the national front because things are happening on the national scene, as you're well aware. 
Obviously, the draft decision of Justice Alito's decision on the Dobbs case right. was released, leaked a couple weeks ago. That draft decision was written in February, and it was released a couple weeks ago. We are still awaiting the decision as of today. We're still waiting. We'll find out. Um, probably at the very end of the session. I'd imagine they're not going to release it before. I imagine it's going to be at the end. However, the Department of Homeland Security, who, who, by the way, are having to pick up the pieces from their misinformation council. Gosh, Nina Jankowitz was only there. She was she was the head of the Ministry of Truth for a shorter time than CNN Plus was around. Anyway, the Department of Homeland Security apparently has bigger fish to fry because Axios has secured a memo circulated. The DHS is concerned about violence and attacks, political violence, when the final decision is is read across the Supreme Court. Now, I think we all know where the attacks are going to come from. Uh, but they call it political attacks by political extremists. I'm just going to say pro-abortion extremists because I can't imagine the pro-life people getting really upset in either decision in this case. So but I, but I, I want to I want to jump into this part of the discussion real quick because you went to Washington, D.C. on December 1st when the Dobbs case was being heard. You were mm-hmm. on the steps mm-hmm. of the Supreme Court yes. the day of the oral arguments. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons so that you understand why we do that is because it's important for us as we are here for you to give you a firsthand account as to what was actually going on. I found it very interesting though, Justin, when you started talking about the the fervor of the people who were there because there were the pro-life groups mm-hmm. and then there were the pro-abortionists that were there. Yes. What was the difference in their tenor? Uh, the, the pro-life side felt like you were at church. So, and when I say that, I don't, I don't say that negatively. I say that as in they were um, jovial. There was a sense of hope, a sense of optimism, a sense that maybe today is the beginning of change when it comes to the practice of abortion in, this, in the country. On the other side, you had uh, anger and frustration, obviously. I mean, you take away the pagan practices from pagans and they get angry. Um, you had chants of... Uh, a woman led a, a chant of, if you've had an abortion and you're under 20, yell or something like that. Right. Give a shout. I was there. We've seen the pictures now, but I was there. I saw this happen in person of the, of the four young women who literally said abortion pills or the future or whatever they were saying, and they took them on the steps of the Supreme Court. I was there that day. That happened while I was there. And I got to hear from our now, our, at the time, the majority leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, where he uh, was very angry, very, very angry little man about the fact that the court was going to infringe on abortion. And so what we're seeing is this new political fervor, like we talked about, Dave, where one side is really, really angry and the other side is not. And typically what we know about the dividing line in our country is the side right now that is angry has also been angry in the past and has been known to uh, do bad things. And what I find interesting is that this potential surge in political violence, and I'm quoting here. This is from from the the Department of Homeland Security. From the Department of Homeland Security memo. 
there are threats on social media to burn down or storm the Supreme Court. Now, I'm old enough to remember when storming a federal building. In Washington, D.C.? In Washington, okay. D.C. Because, by the way, if you've never been to Washington, and I hadn't until December 1 of 2021, if you if we understand just this, the, the beauty of this imagery, and I mean that with all due respect, if you're looking at the Capitol, if you're looking at the steps to where the insurrection took place, where people went into the Capitol, if I took a, an x-ray machine and just shot right through the Capitol with the x-ray machine, and you were able to see through the Capitol, literally right out of the back of the Capitol building, guess what's there? The, the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. It is across First Avenue. So in Washington, D.C., <laughs> so Washington, D.C. is set up in a, in a grid. Mm -hmm. The center of the city geographically is a point inside the, the crypt, they call, in the U.S. Capitol. So everything from that point inside the U.S. Capitol, at the center underneath the, the rotunda and down at the bottom, mm -hmm. that is the starting point for yep. all roads that and, and the entire architectural structure and, and, and civic uh, the civil layout of the city of Washington, literally across First Avenue. So that would be the the first avenue that is in Washington, D.C. is court. the Supreme Court is on the left and the Library of Congress is on the right. That is your across the street neighbors from insurrection headquarters at the U.S. Capitol. So understand that we're... I don't think we'd, if this happens, and I hope it doesn't, because there have also been threats to kill Supreme Court justices and their families and their clerks. I, I just, I can't wrap my mind around, I wasn't alive, okay, I wasn't alive when Roe came down as a decision by the court. Dave was. I still don't remember it, but that was also because I was I, only two. I don't think the others, I don't think people who disagreed with the decision threatened to kill Supreme Court justices. I could be wrong. Prove me wrong. I just find it very interesting that when certain people don't get their way, they pitch a fit like a child. But in this case, they feel like there are no repercussions to their actions, and they can willingly say, we're just going to kill people. Well, it, it's very interesting because this has shown some level of ripple effects. This whole, you know, if there is a quote-unquote insurrection at the U.S. Capitol that, that took place in, in Janu on January 6th of 2021, 20. yeah then it begs the question, what's going to happen then when the Dobbs decision comes out? Is there going to be a possible insurrection? Well, we wouldn't call it that. At the Supreme Court? We wouldn't call it that. And one of the reasons why is this, is because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense within a narrative that says it is a right versus left thing to be able to then turn around and say that what a group that is more left-leaning politically is doing is considered insurrection. Honestly, not much different than what happened during the George Floyd uh, insurrections or, 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 or protests. Protests. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful, except for the... Fiery, but mostly peaceful. Except for the, you know, the police cars that were caught on fire in the city of Columbia, Here. not five blocks from where we are right now. Yep. Not to mention the beatings of people who were done on the streets of Columbia. Those are the types of things that when you look at this, you go... That was okay. That was, as a matter of fact, our our now vice president actually offered at the time to to help pay for 
Bond. Bond to get people out of jail. She's great, great former attorney general there. So when we look at this, it begins to ask the question among us as where is the the drawing line? Where was the dividing line on this particular issue? Because, you know, I also go back to an issue that Meta, that used to be face, Facebook is part of the broader company called Meta now. They're actually banning people even within the company from discussing the issue of abortion, not only internally, but also on their online platforms like Facebook. And they have what's called the Respectful Communication Policy. Axios also acquired this. And it bars two things from official workplace channels. So they have not only the Facebook channel that you see outside, but they have an internal channel as well. They ban opinions or debates about abortion being right or wrong, availability of abortion rights and political, religious, and humanitarian views on the topic. And they also ban the sharing of a personal experience about abortion in order to persuade or dissuade others from taking a certain position on the topic. And yet, and yet, the chief operating officer of Meta, Sheryl Sandberg, posted on May 3rd the following. This is a scary day for women all across our country. If the leaked draft opinion becomes the law of the land, one of our most fundamental rights will be taken away. Again, I left my pocket constitution at home. But if you find it, I would love to know where the framers of the constitution made it okay to kill your baby. Again, if you find it, let me know. Don't give me the 14th Amendment. Right. And so it begins to ask the question of where is going to be this dividing line? And we've talked about this before. You know, uh, Senator Kimbrell talked about it on on a piece that he did that we posted up talking about the new cold civil war. Mm -hmm. There is a going there's going to be a split in America. And we're seeing the beginning steps of that right now. When you take a look at the fact that you're going to have pro-life states and pro-abortion states. South Carolina is going to definitively come down on the pro-life side. California is now going to set up a new abortion vacation destination uh, in, in, its, in its structure and in the way that it's looking at. New York, uh, Virginia is, is up in question now because especially with, with changes that have taken place within the, the leadership there in Virginia, Governor Youngkin is very, very different in his approach than his predecessor, uh, who, who actually had come out and said it would be okay to lay, leave a child uh, after birth. Make them comfortable. We'll make them comfortable, them. yeah. And, and if there was a, it was, was a botched abortion. It still, it just brings us to this place of a true dividing line, mm-hmm. a civil dividing line in America. Uh, and the question becomes one of what are we going to do and, and how do we address this as believers, as Christians, in a woke culture that will allow certain forms of speech to take place, but not other forms of speech. There is where some dividing lines begin to take place. It is. And one place that a line has been divided and has actually shaped the conversation in our country for the last couple of weeks to months has been the battle between Disney and Florida. Now, the Mouse's house and DeSantis's house have had a bit of some discussions, right? And Disney was silent on Florida's parental Bill of Rights legislation. Uh, but have no fear, Disney doesn't drift far from the mean. 
they have released their Pride collection for this upcoming June. Pride, Pride, Pride Month. It's a, it's a clothing and, and accessories and merchandise collection yes. that Disney puts out. Every June. Every June because June is considered to be Pride Month. So what's going to happen is businesses and corporations that do business in places that actually 100% condemn homosexuality and kill homosexuals will change their logos to include rainbows for a month and then they'll change it back. That's really what we're talking about here. Disney, now they've been doing this since 2018. So full disclosure, this isn't something new. This isn't some boogeyman that I'm trying to point out to you. They've been doing this since 2018. Uh, in 2018, up until now, it's been called the Rainbow Disney Collection. Now it's called the Disney Pride Collection. I want to read, uh, this is an excerpt from the presser. The merch includes the classic Mickey Mouse. You've seen the classic Mickey Mouse. Um, Star Wars, because Disney owns that now. Uh, Marvel and Pixar. So all of your childhood. Uh, And here's a quote. The Disney Pride Collection was created by LGBTQIA plus employees and allies at the Walt Disney Company and is a reflection of the incredible contributions of these folks and placed at the heart of the company. The corporation wrote in a statement, quote, we stand in solidarity with our LGBTQIA plus community everywhere. Now, in years past, a portion of the proceeds would go to certain organizations. This year, Disney has committed that the entire proceeds of the collection will go to various LGBT organizations. Now, I'm upset that they only used four letters. You missed the other three here in your presser. Uh, but these organizations include the Ali Forney Center, the LGBTQ Center OC, the Los Angeles LGBT Center, the PFLAG National San Francisco's LGBT Center, notice the theme, the Trevor Project, and the Zebra Coalition, which I never heard of. Now, I did a quick search, and I went to the GLSEN website, and I'm just going to, one of their top things, one of their top goals, the focus, is to advocate for inclusive and affirming curriculum. In your schools. Now, now, again, I, listen, I'm not a, I watched Disney movies as a kid. Like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, they got some cool stuff. And listen, certain Disney movies I think are fine. I'm not saying you need to protest. I'm not saying you need to uh, boycott Disney. It's not what I'm saying at all. If you want to go to the happiest place on earth, man, by all means, you do it. But what we know is from the establishment of Disney World in the 60s to now, the focus of Walt Disney Corporation has changed changed and it's changed dramatically and his children and grandchildren are kind of the reason why i went to dallas texas a a few weeks ago and was at the mercury one studios with glenn beck and uh, david barton and the american history a lot of name dropping there uh that was and it was it was a great it was a great time but i was down i was in the vault i was in the vault and they actually have walt disney's pitch deck that he took to the banks to be able to get the investment, uh, to get the, the money that he needed to be able to start Disney World. And it's very interesting because in there you can fold out the map and you can see what his plan was for Disney World in Florida. And the beauty of it was on Main Street USA, included in his rendering and his design and everything else, was a church on Main Street USA because... Back in the 50s, 60s, there was a whole concept that, you know, faith plays a part in our culture. It plays a part in who we are as people. 
it's been amazing to watch how we have now changed our faith in God into a faith in sexuality. That has been the major transference of faith that has taken place. And you're watching it right now when the Disney Corporation is, with religious fervor, taking the tithes and donations that come from your <laughs> pr- from your pride purchases. Dude, we didn't talk about that before. And be able to then turn around and use those to profligate the whole concept of how do they proselytize their religion of sexuality and of gender identity and of that whole movement to again be a a divisive front in America. This is a place where when we were talking about a little while ago, one of the things that was done in South Carolina is where we have been working on and, and made some significant inroads in doing some banning of critical race theory social emotional learning, those things were done at least through the budgetary process in South Carolina. They said, okay, for this fiscal year that's coming up in South Carolina, we're not going to be putting any money towards those efforts. It is part of a broader effort in a parental bill of rights in South Carolina on a level of educational transparency that needs to take place in our state because without those in place, we have an outside agenda that is pushing in. It's honestly... Justin, it's not a whole lot different than what we heard Governor McMaster say the other day at the signing of the election bill. One of the things that had happened in South Carolina was there were millions of dollars, almost $5 million, that were put in by corporations, what they consider to be dark money, in helping with the election process in counties across the state of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. We have now banned the ability for corporations to put money into and start funding the election processes in South Carolina. Why? Just on the surface alone, the concept of a corporation putting $5 million into an election process has enough stink on it to make you realize there's probably a skunk somewhere nearby. And that is why we made we made that part of a major election reform in South Carolina, Justin, as a matter of fact, it is probably, it's been considered by two organizations, the strongest election laws in the United States of America. These are the types of places where what we're seeing is a new indoctrination and how are we going to start addressing that issue in South Carolina? So there's a lot going on. That's just three headlines. From this weekend. Or if you count the barista story from this weekend. Now, you're saying, why do all these matter? I, I understand. There are, There's also, if I could just really quickly, there's also still a shortage of baby formula in the country. Uh, the president this weekend just said that we have made a promise to Taiwan that we will do the same for Taiwan that we're doing for Ukraine, which, by the way, we just sent $40 billion more billion to Ukraine. Inflation continues to rise. Gas prices keep doing the bouncy house thing. Bouncy house up the stairs. Bouncy house up the stairs. I mean, it's not the slinky going down. It's the slinky going up. It's the slinky going up the stairs. Oh, Expected to be upwards of $6 by the end of the summer. Correct. So there's a lot going on in, in, in the country. Not to mention what's happening here in South Carolina. I mean, we're getting ready to start early voting in accordance to the new election integrity legislation. Uh, The early voting will begin here soon because the primaries are on June 14th. 
which means that early voting will start as early as June the 2nd. That places you at a very important place of what you're going to be thinking about. And today, as we record this, you've got about a week and a half before voting begins in South Carolina. And in that particular case, you need to be understanding who the people are that you're potentially voting for. Not only do we have the gubernatorial race, every constitutional officer in South Carolina is up for election this year. Every single member of the 124 members of the South Carolina House are up for election this year. None of our state senators are, but every U.S. congressman is. And as a matter of fact, our U.S. Senator Tim Scott is also up for re-election this year. These are places where your voice matters. Now, you're saying, hey, listen, we're, we're getting towards the end of school. I've got summer coming up. I've got summer break. We're going to be going on vacation. There is zero reason for you not to let your vote count in South Carolina when you have 12 days of early voting capability, as well as the ability for you to do a mail-in ballot should you choose to do that. If you want to find out where and how you can vote, you need to check out your voter election offices in your county. We will provide a link in the description for this podcast over to that so that you can find out where your county election office is, where the special locations are going to be for you to be able to vote, because your voice matters. And that's the important part of your part of our democratic republic here in South Carolina and across America. Absolutely. So again, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. So make sure you're aware of that. And we'll continue to talk about the issues as we lead into that. Obviously, if you've missed any previous podcast, please go listen to them. You can wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to it right now or you're watching it right now. So make sure to go do that. And thank you for continuing to support the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. You are the reason why we are now the fastest growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina. And we thank you for joining us today. We will see you later this week. Make sure you watch our Hidden Crisis webinar that's coming up in just a couple days as well. Thanks so much for watching this edition of the Palmetto Family Matters Podcast.